Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret's just-arrived collection of swim and other sun-ready silhouettes. Pack your bags with new styles from the Very Sexy Collection, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy push-up bra, in on-trend hues like green and citron and black shine. Rewind to the future with the VS Archives Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. Plus, mix and match with their wide range of bikini tops and bottoms to find your dream suit. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So now we've got rollers to put in. Look at this. They actually used an old school printing press, Annabelle, to make the whistle down. It was not printed out of a printer. Did they? Yeah. Did they build this machine for this show? I don't know, but that looks legit. That doesn't surprise me. We were just talking about attention to detail. Welcome to Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm Gabby Collins. And I'm Annabelle Hood. So let me just set the scene. We're just sitting down over Zoom, of course, watching some behind-the-scenes footage. And we stumble across... And this would have to be done each time you take the print. So in reality, you could probably only print about 250 sheets an hour. This props master is walking us through a miniature village on the set of Bridgerton in which the whistledown is being created. He's got a roller, a huge machine behind him that looks like it's straight out of the 1800s. And as we're watching it, he's taking pieces of paper and rolling over it with this black ink. And voila, we've got the whistledown. And lo and behold... So that's Lady Whistledown Society paper, and then directly under it is the date. So you have the issue and the date that it comes out. I get the emails where the incredible art department will write out Whistledowns. Each side is printed, and it's not just gibberish that you see. Even if we never see it on screen, you could get one of these Whistledowns that we use and open it up, and it has a date on it, and it has gossip in it. And it's all in Regency language and all of that. You may never see these things on screen. That's how much detail goes into the Lady Whistledance. I mean, they're such an important part of the Bridgerton world and of the storytelling that, I mean, even the Queen loves Whistledown. Even the Queen needs needs her hot goss, as we, as we say. 
And why are we talking about the creation of the Whistledown scandal sheet? Because this episode is all about the build-up to the big reveal of who Lady Whistledown really was all along, and all of the incredible touches you didn't get to see that made the whole thing possible. And you've probably already seen the big reveal, but just in case, this is your spoiler alert. Please pause this episode, go finish watching Bridgerton, then come back. We'll have something nice and bubbly and effervescent for you to get back into the conversation about all of the hot goss behind the scenes. Seriously, this is your last chance to pause it. We're about to get into talking about Lady Whistledown. Okay, are we in the clear? Can we say it? Can we say who Lady Whistledown is? So let's jump into our conversation with Nicola Coughlin, who played Penelope, aka Lady Whistledown, on what it was like to keep the secret of Whistledown throughout filming Bridgerton. I always think of Penelope as this there's this big dichotomy there where she's so shy and so low status. But then she is taking everything and she's so sharp. And that has to make you feel like something, you know, you've got to feel a little bit like, oh, I am, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that has to then I feel like affect her. And you have not heard what people are saying. Lady Whistledown has gone too far this time. And I thought you her greatest admirer. Not when she smeared the name of my greatest friend. When we uncover Whistledown's identity, we will convince her to publish a retraction and restore your family's reputation. All will be well again, I promise you. Chris Van Dusen shared the thought process he and Nicola went through to develop this sensibility, this kind of third eye that Penelope has throughout the show. I remember we worked out the Danbury Ball sequence to being over a number of days. I think it was maybe three or four, maybe even four or five days. And, you know, Nicola, as Penelope, was only really supposed to be in a a small portion of the ball. You know, her work really only totaled about a day. But she pulled me aside the morning of the rehearsal. Nicola and I had a conversation about Penelope as Lady Whistledown and what she'd really be doing at that ball. And, you know, what we talked about was that Penelope would be up against the wall for the entire time, watching and listening and keeping her eyes and ears open for all the hot goss. You know, she'd be there all night. And so that became a thing. So if you if you go back and you watch that scene, you'll see Penelope in the deep background of a lot of those shots doing her Lady Whistledown thing. And, and we ended up using Nicola for a lot more than just that first day of the Danbury Ball. I, I think she was there for, for the entire, you know, Danbury Ball sequence. I would always be aware, like, what's her life that everyone sort of sees and what's her, you know, what's happening in the moment. But then I was like, but what's Whistledown writing? So I need to be mega aware of that. And also it couldn't be really heavily signposted. We couldn't make it really, really obvious because what's the fun in that? The moment at which Daphne and Simon bump into each other, I went up, it was Julianne Robinson who directed episode one. And I said to her, like, I need to be in the vicinity. I need to see this happen so and I don't think actually no one has sent it to me on social media so I don't know that anyone spots it but you have to be pretty eagle-eyed so it's basically when um they bump into each other they have their conversation and then you hear Anthony go Hastings I'm there right behind Anthony wait now I have to go back and watch it I know (laughs) I want people to watch back and go there she is that little sneaky sneak you know Yes. I was always sort of ticking that in my brain and being aware. And then the other one that I can think of that people 
we'll be able to go back and see is the ball where Daphne dances with the prince. I've been telling everybody I love <laughs> your face in that whole scene. You are you are saying everything that I am saying as a viewer. Yeah, because I think I think she is just trying to be an observer. Yes, there's like sort of a snarky, witty edge to it, but I don't think that she's trying to ruin stuff for anybody. But I think in that scene, my thought process behind it was like she knows that there's this stuff going on between Daphne and the Duke, and also she's known Daphne since she was a kid so she's gonna go why is Daphne behaving this is not her this is not her real personality this is not and then I really wanted to mark it out that when the Duke leaves I'm the only one that turns to see him leave in the whole crowd I I love that she's a really interesting character to play because she's such an observer and not everything is outward it's 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 like a challenge as an actor it's really fun for the original book fans of watching season one, they maybe, maybe, maybe they were focused on Simon and Daphne. But if they saw Penelope in the background, they would have known she's Lady Whistledown and she's doing her Whistledown thing. Mm-hmm. And then for the new fans that came along, they can now go back and rewatch season one and clock Penelope in the background. So I think it's it's a good Easter egg to find in season one. Yeah, it definitely is. I went back and looked for all the places I thought I saw Penelope lurking. And I challenge the listeners to go back and clock them because she's there. She's in the background, just lurking. Just being a wallflower. Just being a wallflower, a very bright yellow wallflower. Mm -hmm. Show creator Chris Van Dusen and Nicola worked together to really craft Penelope. In fact, Nicola was the first person cast on the show. So they had some good time to really work out the secret that we all know. But as novel series creator Julia Quinn describes how Whistledown came to be, there's room for argument. There's this really funny story. I had written, I don't know, maybe eight chapters or so. And it was open on my computer and my dad had come to visit. And my dad sat down and read it without my permission. And I later was like, I cannot believe that you read something on my computer without asking me. And it was really funny. He kind of put his hand over his mouth and he's like, I'm so sorry. Like, but then he says to me, well, who's Lady Whistledown? I said, I don't know. He said, you can't do that. I'm like, well, clearly I can because I did. And he says, well, you have to figure it out. I said, well, yeah, yeah, I'll figure it out. Um, for now, she's just kind of this awesome observer and dumping information all over the place, making it easy for me. And she gets to be super snarky and, and it's fun. And so I kept working on it and working on it. And I did not figure out who I wanted Lady Whistledown to be until the end of that book. You believe Whistledown is Lady Danbury? Your Majesty, what evidence have you gathered? You would like to know what... What evidence I have gathered in my investigation of Lady Whistledown. Are you requiring your queen to ask again? Tell me what you know. In the books, at the start of every chapter, there's a few lines from Lady Whistledown and then it goes into the chapter and it's it always relates back to what Lady Whistledown said at the start of the chapter. And that's sort of how the show goes. A lot of the episodes will start with the Lady Whistledown voiceover and it always teases what's going to happen in the in the episode and the challenges that the characters are going to face and maybe sometimes we'll come in midway through the episode with another Lady Whistledown voiceover and then it'll always end with a warning from Lady Whistledown as to 
as to the trouble that people have gotten themselves into. It appears Miss Daphne Bridgerton has captured the interest of the newly returned Duke of Hastings. I had started this book and I had all this information that I needed to get across and I was trying to avoid what writers call an info dump, which is basically where, you know, you're in the first chapter and you're thinking to yourself, well, I need to let the reader know this, 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 and this. And it's so clunky, right? And then I suddenly got the idea, I'm like, wait a minute, if I start this off with an excerpt from a gossip column, gossip columns are info dumps. So I could do like an info dump and it won't be awkward because that's what it's supposed to be. Once I wrote that column, it kind of just made sense that that's what Daphne and Violet would be talking about. And then the book just kind of took off from there. Nicola approached her performance as Penelope with Lady Whistledown in mind. Even on my latest watch, I'm still finding moments of Penelope calculating and listening in the background so that she can use everything she hears in her scandal papers. I think with Penelope, she never uses Whistledown as a tool to get what she wants. So I think that's what like kills her about it is that she's she's really manipulated and it's just, you know, and I think she's essentially a very good person, but, you know, just does a terrible thing. Nicola, you've said that Penelope kind of reminds you of a writer, sort of presenting herself as an introverted, shy young woman, but her mind is going a mile a minute. I always viewed her in that way. And I think even someone like Shonda, who like she's such a true writer and is so together and calm and all this, but then has all these worlds in her head. I find that super, super fascinating. So I always thought of her in that way. And it's very different to, I think, how I am, because if I have something go wrong, I'll immediately have to go to my friends and talk it out. And I don't believe in internalizing. And I think Penelope is the queen of internalizing. You know, she's obviously has a terrible time with her family, but just puts that somewhere else. She has this unrequited love. She puts that somewhere else. And I'm like, that's a lot of stress, girl. You're going to need to just let it out a little bit and it will help you a lot. Whistledown is her release, but it's going to get her in trouble at some point. I'm like, it's, you know, it's a bomb, ticking Mm. bomb, waiting to go off. (laughs) You can choose anyone but him. He, He is my friend, Marina. I have known him forever. And I do not want him to be tricked and deceived into a lifelong commitment. You must not do this to a good man. Well, should I perhaps entrap a bad man then? Here's what executive producer Shonda Rhimes had to say about Penelope Featherington. I also feel like there's something really special when I look at Penelope. We talk a lot about the levels of society, you know, in a lot of ways, but this idea of what it means to be a Bridgerton versus being, say, a Featherington. Penelope's like, look at who we are. Look at how I'm dressed. Look at how I'm considered unattractive. Look at how my family is. Look at the climber that my mom is. You are a Bridgerton. Like, you don't have to worry about anything. And I love that sort of, rage moment that comes out because it's true like she's got her nose pressed to the glass of somebody else's life and it's very frustrating for her I always found that very interesting to think about that's the thing that's what's quite fun and I think it's good at this point that I actually know pretty much nothing that's going to happen so whatever speculation I'm doing now is unverified it's just what I think I'm quite interested to see her. I would like to see her have a little bit more self-confidence because I feel like she's so down on herself. But I feel like with being whistled down, she also is the most powerful woman in London. After the break, we'll get into the true power that Lady Whistledown had. And we'll learn more about the actual writers of the original Scandal Papers in Regency London with historian Hannah Gregg. 
Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with dust-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome back to Bridgerton, the official podcast. Before the break, we spent a little time with actress Nicola Coughlin, who plays Penelope Featherington. The last thing Nicola hit on was Penelope's power. That's a multifaceted and potentially hotly debated view of the fiery-haired muse. But the scandal papers were sources of income, not just powerful in the way they shaped people's perceptions. In this next spotlight on Whistledown and her pen, we're exploring the power ink gave women during the Regency era. You know who is flying? Lady Whistledown. She is up in the sky. A brilliant woman of business who fools the entire town whilst pocketing their money. Imagine the life she must lead. Independence. You can be sure she is not stuck simpering on the edge of a ballroom every night praying a man might take a fancy and leg shackle her to marriage. It's quite the life you've imagined for her, Elle. We must meet her. So that she might share her secrets of how to avoid such a wretched, uninteresting thing. This is a self-funded businesswoman. This is 21st century entrepreneur right here. This gives me more insight into what Eloise was trying to say. The era of the ton gives women the opportunity to be opportunistic, for better or for worse. She wasn't just there to dance at, at balls. There were, there were more important things going on than finding a husband. It was, I've got this hot goss to collect. I've got a business to run, you know. We're just kind of programmed in some ways to believe women didn't have opportunities. And Hannah reminds us that in spite of social codes and restrictions, women actually did have aspirations and ambitions, which they did achieve and capitalize on. Women did become what Eloise desperately ached to become. There's plenty of women who were publishing, often not under their real name at the time, 
So we get lots of novels and pamphlets and stories written by someone who might just be listed as a lady of quality or a lady who knows, or sometimes an anonymous lady. Historians have done a lot of work now to try and uncover who these are, or sometimes they reveal their identities later through a kind of life of publishing. There is a world of women writing. If Lady Whistledown is a woman, we don't know that she is, but she could be listed as a lady. It's absolutely true for Regency London, kind of world of print and newspapers and writing. I don't think I need to make a case for how much Lady Whistledown feels like any of the other writers of scandal papers from this era. I finally found her. Lady Whistledown. Who is she? She is Madame Delacroix. Madame Delacroix is her. The Modiste and Whistledown are one and the same. And she is going to print something in your family's favour, Pen. She told me so. Well, that certainly is an impressive feat running two businesses. Oh, we should both aspire to be just like her. Unmarried, earning our own money. Look, I'm happy you found her, Elle, but I do not think I can ever be like that. You now have a duchess for a sister. That makes achieving the life you wish for all the more easier. The status of my family, however, is an entirely different story, which will not be changing in the foreseeable future. Eloise mentioned it a few times during the season about how financial independence is almost the opposite of intimacy. And last episode, we got into how sex and intimacy is woven into the story like a fine lace. Now we're looking at the implications of sex and forbidden intimacy. Hannah helps us break down the historical accuracy with those implications. Perhaps we have a presumption that modern society is uniquely free in kind of our ideas about sex, about sexuality, about relationships. So it might surprise people to know that as a historian, we would see Regency London as a time that was well into what we'd call a sexual revolution. It was one of the first kind of ideas of permissive society that we now kind of give the 1960s credit to. But actually... Regency society was ahead of that time. Historians talk about that because 16th century and earlier, there was a lot of kind of regulation around extramarital sex. So there was an expectation that you would have sex within marriage, that there was careful community constraints about how people's behaviour was modified and managed and that people would be shamed, was seen as kind of sexual misconduct. But then by the 18th century and early 19th century, most forms of consensual adult sexual relationships are not subject to any kind of constraint or legal regulation. So there's a much wider cultural acceptance of sex outside marriage, of sex within marriage, who you can have sex with and and where and how. No way, I thought that was only now. Yes, yes, so people are really surprised by this. I'm really just shocked to hear you say that because while watching it, I'm like, okay, if, if somebody kisses me, we have to get married? So if sex was all over the place and we're in the midst of this revolution, Why was the scandal sheet such hot goss? So the women whose access to the kind of sex was carefully pleased were elite women who were bringing money and status, who it was really important that their kind of virtue was intact on marriage, that their morality was intact, because really inheritance and property stands on it. All of English inheritance law in Regency times meant that an estate and a title should go to the oldest son. So if there was any question about whether or not there might be someone to contest that estate or that inheritance might get split up in some way, then that becomes really problematic. So it's a particular group of women whose bodies are very carefully policed and who who are protected from having any kind of sense of their reputation being tarnished. 
If scandal was attached to your name back in the Regency, that that was you done. If you were embroiled in scandal, then you weren't seen as a viable prospect. And that's a terrible way to talk about women. But um, let's say there's the Duke of Hastings and there are five women after him. And four of those women are suddenly named in Lady Whistledown. And you're the last one standing without scandal attached to your name then you're you're the winner so that's why it's gold because you try to keep out of whistledown as much as possible but you want to know if your neighbors are being are being scandalous like the ripple effect of being named in the whistledown yeah it's not just you it's your it's your family name the concept of the scandal sheet is very much a regency idea we would find pamphlets similar to Lady Whistledown's um, society papers. They survive in, in libraries today. These kind of publications that revealed the private lives and kind of pierced the reputations of this world of a fashionable London. The way the Whistledown rattles Grosvenor Square is a direct nod to the real-life scandal papers of Regency Shade. I'm talking about 154 tweet threads with salacious details, breaking news, in your timeline, Real Housewives reads, drama, and gossip. We'll be right back with more from Behind the Scenes of Bridgerton. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just-arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen Very Sexy Push-Up Bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like Black Shine, Green, and Citron. For a glam statement, pair them with your favorite jeans and bring the heat. Because life is better in a bikini. Rewind to the future with the VS Archive Swim Collection, inspired by Victoria's Secret's classic looks from the 90s and early 2000s. For endless out-of-office options, mix and match with Victoria's Secret's wide range of bikini tops and bottoms that offer you every type of coverage, from full to cheeky to minimal. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition Bombshell Escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Welcome back. We were just talking about the savage scandal sheets of Regency era and some of the gossip that the ton did not hold back. Remember how I was saying there's power in the ink on the scandal papers? Well, 
this ink I'm talking about, literally used on Whistledown's papers, really excites creator and showrunner Chris Van Dusen. With Lady Whistledown, we're really exploring the power of the written word, and we're seeing how that has and hasn't changed over the last 200 years. She is our one-woman Regency tabloid, and we get to see how she shifts public opinion and how she affects people and changes the narrative, just as tabloids and social media does today. In a lot of ways, I feel like social media today is a lot like is a modern day corset of sorts in the fact that people are obsessed with it and they feel a little stifled by social media, just like our characters do when they whenever they read Lady Whistledown on the show. Jess Brownell says that they don't need to look too far to really tap into what Chris Van Dusen is saying here. It's a lot like social media these days in terms of always having to look happy and always having to show your highlight reel on Instagram, you know, especially with the gossip columnists from that day, there was so much concern about public presentation. And so I think that was something we were aware of when we were writing it in the room of that parallel. Really fun to play with. Basically, what I'm hearing is that the only difference from what we're doing now and what was written then is the name dropping. We at people right now, but in the whistle down, there was a little more nuance to it. In Regency England, you didn't always get everyone's full name printed in a newspaper or in a scandal sheet. There would be some attempt to kind of disguise someone's identity. So instead of writing Simon, Duke of Hastings, in Regency newspapers and pamphlets, it would say the Duke of H, leaving the reader to figure out who it was. But it was never hard to find out because there's only a handful of Dukes. There wasn't really any attempt to disguise their identity or to hide their blushes. I think it was just a way to kind of avoid libel laws (laughs) in Regency England. So they just printed their initials or gave them some kind of pseudonym which everyone knew about. So, I mean, you might refer to someone like Daphne as just the diamond, society's glittering prize or something. And everyone's like, oh, we know who that is. I know someone with child. Is it your mama? She's not advanced in age? I suppose your father should still want a boy. It's not my mama. It is a maid. Which one of your maids is married? She's not married. How did she become a child if she's not married? I do not know. I will find out. Jeez, Hannah, some of these rumors and the, the gossip that we get up close to in Bridgerton is heavy hitting. Like that one scene where Penelope is telling Colin that, you know, a baby kind of looks like somebody's maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's it gets really, really shady. What was your first impression of some of the scandal papers that you came across in your research? I mean, I have to say, like, honestly, it's one of the things that got me into this period of history in the first place <laughs> was like in pursuit of the gossip. Like I was just so fascinated by this world of newspapers and print and this kind of celebrity culture of fashionable society. I thought, who are these people who are endlessly in the newspapers? And why have we not talked about them as historians? And and who on earth is this person who's being exposed for some scandal? And I guess I was just like, oh, I guess I was just the historian who was kind of reading the magazines of the time. <laughs> and so I kind of came, yeah, really interested in that world of fashionable society because they were they were so, they were so much in the press. So yeah, I was just pursuing the magazine culture of history. <laughs> All of this history and research went into creating this realistic portrayal of Lady Whistledown. Every detail was planned out, even down to the music. 
Here's Bridgerton composer Chris Bowers on writing the theme song for Lady Whistledown. The Lady Whistledown theme really came from get this introduction to Lady Whistledown and how she's talking about the community, how she's talking about her opinions and, and how much weight her opinions can carry. And we really want to feel that in the music. And I think the first few times I wrote something for those sections, it just felt a little too regal and a little too um, stuffy and, and, and traditional and expected. And so trying to write something that had a little bit more, for lack of a better term, like swagger, <laughs> you know, when you think of like the way that Lady Whistledown is talking. Remember the printing press that we talked about earlier and our prop master friend lining up every Whistledown letter. And it wasn't just one Whistledown printed over and over again and used several times over. There were different issues for different days and different episodes. The Whistledowns that I see now are hand-printed and, yeah, it's just incredible. And there were so many. So not only were they... uh, principal props that were handed to the principal cast. There were also props handed to the background actors to be carrying whistle downs as well. Uh, and then, of course, the prop team have to be like, okay, who did we give whistle downs to? We need to collect them back at the end of the day. <laughs> I have a few of those whistle downs, actually. I was using them to decorate Chris's office and I was like, can I just grab a few of these? And they're like, yeah, sure, go ahead. We've got so many of them. <laughs> I should keep them. Annabelle, you have the insider info on everything behind the scenes. So I need to know. Why did Shondaland go all out for this piece of paper? The viewer won't get to see that. Why did? Why was that important to the production of Bridgerton? We try not to have inaccurate details, even in the small things. So we need to know how this would be printed and also how Penelope would print Whistledown. How would she figure it out? So, you know, we, we need to know um, as the production crew and as the art department need to know how this be printed back then and what would that look like you know what we know would look very different to what it was back then we just need to know how everything's made in that time wow chris's explanation the secret scenes of penelope listening the historical accuracy of the power of ink and all the way down to the music every detail culminated into such an amazing reveal And of course, we can't round out an episode on Lady Whistledown without saying these two magical words. I'm going to say a name or start off a sentence and you're going to finish it. I'm going to try. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Julie Andrews. Oh my God. I mean, that's enough. (laughs) That's enough. I mean, it was just, that that was the pure honesty. That was me not thinking at all. I mean, it's. I have known now for well over a year that she was going to be involved in the project. And still, every time I think of it, my first reaction is, oh, my God, it's Julie Andrews. <laughs> and what's delightful is I think everybody who's involved in the production still feels that way. Like everybody is still kind of in this daze, but like she's involved. It's just, oh, my God. Even executive producer Shonda Rhimes couldn't hold in her excitement. I know Ms. Andrews from some other work that we do, and I was not about to ask her because I feel like I can't, don't want Julie Andrews saying no to me. I did say we should ask her, like we should absolutely ask her. And then to find out that she said yes was incredible because I just felt like she's got to be too busy for us. But then here, like here was Julie, it was just amazing to me. I literally think the first time we heard her voice over the film, I cried. For those not in attendance at the Vauxhall celebration, you missed the most remarkable coup of the season. I 
adore Julie Andrews and I think Julie Andrews is amazing. And I joked, like, can you imagine Julie Andrews saying some of these like curse words, like Mary Poppins saying curse words, like it's going to be crazy. But when Julie Andrews said yes, it to me, like just elevated how hard we were going to have to work and the quality of this thing, because you can't have Julie Andrews as Lady Whistledown and not do the finest job possible. And she was so lovely and so wonderful. And we are we're so grateful that she's, you know, stepped into that spot. And it was so great to have her. So that's why they got the printing press. They wrote an original score for Lady Whistledown and all that research for Julie Andrews. Just kidding. But that's one heck of a reason, right? The truth is, it's all about the story. And every little detail only enhances the reveal. When you watch season one, it doesn't feel like we can top ourselves. You think there's no way this can be bigger and more scandalous and more beautiful. But I can assure you it is. And it's going to be. And I'm I'm so excited for it. Annabelle, thank you again for taking us inside behind the scenes of Bridgerton. I could be Lady Whistledown with how many secrets I know. <laughs> Being an assistant, you end up, you're on a lot of email chains mm-hmm. and you know a lot of things. I know a lot of secrets. You are the Whistledown of this whole thing. Like the real Whistledown is Annabelle Hood. Yeah, my accent isn't as charming as Julie Andrews. That's that's the only problem. <laughs> that's the only difference. And I know, I know people are blowing you up. I have conversations now with people that there are things going on for later in season two that I know about but can't talk about with the rest of the crew. So now people will ask me questions and be like, Annabelle, you don't need to say, but just with your eyes, tell me. But eye movements and winking across podcasts doesn't work, so... (laughs) I wish everyone could see, like... (laughs) How you are stretching your eyes to be like... I I blink (laughs) rapidly to say yes. Two blinks for yes, one blink for no. And that's it for this episode. On the next episode, we'll be talking with Julia Quinn to learn more about the romance genre. So stick around with us, like, subscribe, and share, and we'll catch you next time behind the scenes of Bridgerton. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is executive produced by Lauren Holman, Sandy Bailey, Holly Fry, and me, Gabrielle Collins. Our producer is Chris Van Dusen, and our editor is Vincent Dejani. Thanks for listening. Bridgerton, the official podcast, is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you download your favorite podcasts.